Good evening and welcome. Tonight is Thursday night, October 13th, 2022. And tonight our subject is the mystery of Hoshana Rabbah. The Jewish calendar is based on the cycles of the moon. Now the lunar month is about 29 and a half days long, plus there is some flexibility when we proclaim Rosh Chodesh, when we proclaim the beginning of the new lunar cycle, which determines all of the Jewish holidays. So in addition to the guideline of the actual astronomical new lunar cycle, there are also some rules that we follow in setting our calendar. And one of those rules is lo adu rosh. Rosh refers to Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Lo adu. Adu is made of three letters. Aleph, which stands for the number one. Dalit, which stands for the number four. Vav, which stands for the number six, corresponding to the days of the week. That is Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. Lo adu rosh. The first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot fall on Sunday, Wednesday, or Friday. Never will, never has, doesn't happen. <coughs> Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot fall on Wednesday because if Rosh, the first day of Rosh Hashanah was on Wednesday, it would mean that Yom Kippur, the following week, would be on Friday. And the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot fall on Friday because that would mean that Yom Kippur, the following week, would fall on Sunday. And it would be too difficult to have Yom Kippur and Shabbos adjacent to each other in either direction. So we do not allow Yom Kippur to fall on Friday or on Sunday. Therefore, the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot be on Wednesday or on Friday. And the reason is because if Yom Kippur was Friday, then you would have to make your chalent on Thursday and keep it hot until Saturday lunchtime, and that's no way to enjoy Shabbos. And if Yom Kippur was on Sunday, then you would have to get your break-the-fast bagels on Friday. By Sunday night, they would be stale. So we cannot have Yom Kippur on Friday or Sunday. That is Lo, Dalit, and Vav. Rosh Hashanah cannot, the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot fall on Wednesday or on Friday. What's the Aleph, Sunday? Why is it that the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot and never falls on Sunday? Because if the first day of Rosh Hashanah fell on Sunday... Hoshana Rabbah would fall on Shabbos. Now, Hoshana Rabbah is this Sunday. It's not really a holiday. It's rather an activity of the seventh day of Sukkos. And it goes like this. Each day of Sukkos in Shul, we take the Dalad Minim, the four species, Lulav, Esrog, Hadas, and Arava, and we walk in a circle around the Bima, 
with the Torah scroll in the middle, and while walking around, parading, marching around, we say a prayer, and that prayer includes repetition of the word Hoshana, which means redeem us, God, save us, God, Hoshana. And this ritual recalls a ritual that would take place in Sukkos, in the Beis Amigdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem, when the temple was standing, with people holding their Lulav and Esrog, walking around the Mizbeach, walking around the altar. So, we have this ritual of Hoshanos in Shul, every day of Sukkos, except not on Shabbos. Just like the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we do not blow the shofar if Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. Similarly, we do not take the Lulav and Esrog on Sukkos on the day that falls on Shabbos because, for the same reason, we are afraid in an area without an Eruv, someone might forget to bring their Lulav and Esrog to the synagogue before Shabbos starts, and they might end up carrying this, uh, these objects through a public domain on Shabbos, violating Shabbos. And therefore, we have a blanket rule. Even when there is an Eruv, even if your Lulav and Esrog are already in the shul, no Lulav and Esrog on Shabbos, no Hoshanos on Shabbos. But on the other days of Sukkos, we have one circuit. We march around one time. And on Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day of Sukkos, Hoshana Rabbah means the great Hoshana, we walk around seven times. And then we put the Lulav and Esrog down and we take only the Arava the willow branches, we say special prayers, and at the end, we beat the arava on the ground five times. That's what we do on Hoshana Rabbah. Now, this ritual is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah, but it is rather a minhag nevi'im, a custom from the time of the prophets. So, if Hoshana Rabbah would fall on Shabbos, we would not walk around seven times because no Hoshanos on Shabbos. And we would not beat the Arava on the ground. So our calendar won't allow Hoshana Rabbah to fall on Shabbos. And that is the rule of low Adu Rosh. Now, this is simply astounding because Rosh Hashanah can fall on Shabbos, and if the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos, we omit the shofar. We don't blow the shofar. We don't prevent the first day of Rosh Hashanah from falling on Shabbos even though it means there'll be no shofar because we're worried that a person might forget and carry the shofar on Shabbos. 
Even though blowing the shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah is a mitzvah deraisa, it is a biblical commandment. And yet, Rosh Hashanah can fall on Shabbos, and we omit the shofar on that day. But Hoshanos, which is not even a mitzvah, it is a custom from the time of the prophets, we prevent Hoshana Rabbah from ever falling on Shabbos so that we don't miss it? How could that be? What is so special about Hoshana Rabbah that we cannot miss its rituals for any reason? So allow me to share with you tonight two very different approaches to understanding the deeper significance of Hoshana Rabbah that will explain why it is an unmissable event. This pattern of walking in a circle once a day and then seven times on the seventh day, this pattern has a precedent in Sefer Yehoshua, the book of Joshua. When the Jewish people finally entered the land of Israel, led by Yehoshua, Joshua, 40 years after leaving Egypt, the first city they conquer is Yericho, Jericho, which is the city, the ancient city, that is still there in its same place. At that time, the city of Yericho was fortified, protected by a thick wall surrounding it. And the way they conquered the city, which is described in the book of Joshua, is the Jewish people march around the city, around the walls of the city, one time each day. And on the seventh day, they march around seven times and they conquer the city. So, our Hoshanos on Sukkos are a recreation of conquering Jericho. Okay, so we have a precedent, but how is it an appropriate model for Hoshanos on Sukkos? I mean, on Sukkos, we're saying this prayer, Hoshana, we're asking God to save us, to redeem us. So what are we acting out exactly? We're acting out going to war against God? What in the world are we doing borrowing this recreation from conquering Yericho? It seems to make no sense whatsoever. But the key to understanding this is two curious phrases. We read in Sefer Yoshua, the book of Joshua, Viricho sogeres umusugeres mipnei Israel. The city of Yericho, the city of Jericho, was closed and sealed before the Jewish people. Notice, the prophet does not say the city of Jericho was fortified, was 
defended, was strengthened against the onslaught of the Jewish army, but rather it was sealed, it was closed. Why the strange phrase? Number two, so then on the seventh day, after marching around seven times, Vatipol hachoma tachteha. Listen carefully to the words. Vatipol hachoma, the wall around the city that protected the city, fell, but it doesn't say the wall fell down. Vatipol hachoma tachteha. The wall fell beneath. Well, beneath. Beneath what? What does that mean? How does a wall fall beneath? So the Talmud says what actually happened with that wall around the city of Yericho is nivlu. The walls did not fall down. The walls sunk beneath the earth. In other words, the walls didn't break. They disappeared. The drama of walking around seven times is to make barriers disappear. Now, in the case of Yericho, the result was the Jewish people conquered the city. On Sukkos, we are causing the barriers between ourselves and God to disappear. And the truth is there are many barriers between ourselves and God. Because God is unknowable to us. Because sometimes we don't see that God loves us. Sometimes we don't see that God is fair to us. Or because we are rebellious or apathetic. When we march around seven times on Hoshana Rabbah, we are mirroring what happened at Yericho to cause the barriers between ourselves and God to likewise disappear and the greatest disappearance of barriers between ourselves and God is redemption, Hoshana. And we actually say this when we conclude this strange ritual of the Hoshanos on Hoshana Rabbah, we add a prayer. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our ancestors. Receive our prayers and our marching around with compassion and favor. V'tosir mechitzas habarzel hamafsekes beinenu uveinecha, and remove the wall of iron, the barrier that separates us from you. That's what we hope to accomplish 
with this very, very strange ritual. You know probably the famous statement of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel when he returned from Selma, Alabama after marching with Dr. Martin Luther King to protest segregation and discrimination. Heschel said, my feet were praying. On Hoshana Rabbah, our feet are praying. It is a prayer in the form of movement. And that is so important that we act to remove the barriers between ourselves and God. We can't miss it. We can't live without it. We can't allow Hoshana Rabbah to fall on Shabbos that would cause us to miss this important ritual. Now, by the way, this understanding of Hoshanos and the model of Yericho is crucial to understanding another, even more implausible reenactment. And that is a kala, a bride, under the chuppah at a marriage ceremony where the bride walks seven times circling the groom. And it's the same message. Because the truth is, at some level we are all porcupines with barriers between ourselves. And the bride and groom attempt to recreate the pattern of Yericho, to recreate the pattern of Hoshana Rabbah, to make these barriers between themselves disappear. So this is one understanding of why Hoshana Rabbah and its unusual rituals are so crucial, we cannot miss them for any reason. Let me share a second approach. Very different approach. On Hoshana Rabbah, the practice in the synagogue is that the chazan, the cantor, wears a kittel, the white garment that is worn on Yom Kippur. The prayers that we add on Hoshana Rabbah are prayers asking for God's compassion and forgiveness. We say, Share Shomayim Psach, God, open the gates of heaven. Both in content and in tone, the prayers of Hoshana Rabbah are like Ni'ilah. We use the tunes of Ni'ilah. It is a Yom Hadin, a day of judgment for water, which is necessary for life. The last prayer of Hoshana Rabbah is the prayer Kol Mavaser, the voice of the herald, of the messenger. Now, before we start this last prayer, we put down the Lulav and Esrog that we've been carrying while we walked around seven times, and we pick up the bundle of Aravos, the willows, the Hoshanos, this prayer, in my mind, is one of the most poignant prayers that exist. In a very true sense, 
This prayer is the climax of the entire High Holiday season. It is certainly the most overtly messianic prayer that we have. Kol mevaser mevaser v'omer, the voice of the herald, the messenger, the messenger will come and he will say, Omen yeshacha ba, kol dodihi your true salvation is coming, the voice of my beloved of God. Here he is coming. The messenger will tell us. Hekim milul naamo, uvahu v'chol kadoshav imo, the herald will announce he is fulfilling the words he spoke and coming and all his holy ones with him. That's what the messenger will herald to us. Le'ez yigal amo na'ar v'hoyolez erev yiyar the messenger will tell us the announcement that when the shining one redeems his people as evening falls, there will be light. Tzemach ish tzemach shemo, who David ba'atzmo, the herald will announce, a savior has grown up. Tzemach is his name. He is none other than a descendant of David himself. Tana Yeshuos la'am olam, le'david ulezaro ad olam. The voice will say, grant salvation to an eternal people, to David and his descendants forever. Kol mevaser, mevaser ve'omer. The voice of the herald, the messenger, will announce and say these words. We ask for the sound of the herald to tell us the ultimate redemption is at hand. Kol mevaser, mevaser v'omer. When we say this, <coughs> excuse me, when we say this last line, we beat the aravos on the ground five times. Kol mevaser, mevaser v'omer. And once we beat the Aravos, the Hoshanos, we leave them on the ground. They're finished. By the way, this is what gives us one of the most colorful, untranslatable Yiddish phrases. An ungeklapta Hoshana. I can't really translate it for you, except to say, once the Hoshana has been beaten, it's good for nothing. There's no purpose. You just leave it on the ground. An ungeklapta Hoshana. If you refer to a person as an ungeklapta Hoshana, that's what you mean to say. Okay, fine. But what in the world are we doing? I mean, this is just so strange. And Whatever it is that we're doing, why is it so important that the entire calendar is adjusted so that we don't miss it? 
we don't allow this day to fall on Shabbos because we would miss it. Why? So let me start this second approach with a brief description of Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. This is like trying to give a brief description of the theory of relativity, but I'm going to try. God is infinite, unknowable. We, human beings, are finite, physical. However impossible it seems, there is a real substantive connection between God and us, Kabbalah asserts. Like the sun sends out rays, we perceive the sun through its rays that come toward us. God sends out rays or emanations. These are called in Hebrew, sephiros. And we perceive God through the spheros, through the emanations, the rays that are coming out from God towards the world. Kabbalah says that everything in the world is an emanation. Everything in the world is some aspect of God's nature, God's character, so to speak, transformed into a physical presence that we humans can perceive and appreciate. For example, two of these spheros, two of these emanations, are characteristics that are in attention with each other that form a some type of balance with each other. One of them is called din, which means strict justice, God's attribute or characteristic of strict justice, and chesed, God's compassion. Sometimes we perceive God through the characteristic of din, strict justice. During the time of the Holocaust, the characteristic that we perceived of God was one of strict justice that we did not understand. At other times in our history or in our lives, we may perceive God through his characteristic of chesed, of kindness, compassion. The flowering of the state of Israel expresses God's compassion, God's kindness. Kabbalah says that every object in the world, every substance in the world, is a reflection of one or the other. For example, water, which is flowing over boundaries, which is life-giving, is chesed. The ground, the earth, the shore, which holds back water, right? The waves come forward and the shore stops them and pushes them back. The earth is din. But I don't mean to say that it's a symbol. For Kabbalah, what it means to say is that God's 
attribute of kindness, of chesed, translated into the physical world is water. So, the first role of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism, is to study the world, to understand the message of everything in it, each object, each item, each substance. How does this connect to God? What attribute of God is being expressed and presented by this object? But there's a second role. Kabbalah goes one step further. Because this is not only descriptive, but active. Our actions, our human physical actions, can help cause one or the other of the attributes to be dominant over the other. For Kabbalah, a mitzvah, is a way of manipulating the physical world in order to prevail upon God for a certain characteristic of God to manifest itself. The arava, the willow, is called in the Torah arve nachal, the branches that grow by the water, the willow. But the aravos, the willows, by being described as growing beside the water, represent water, represent chesed, God's chesed. With the arava, which represents God's chesed, God's kindness and compassion, we hit the ground, which represents din, strict justice. In other words, the practice of beating the arava on the ground is our attempt not only to pray for redemption and salvation, but to help cause God to manifest his compassion over his strict justice. And of course, the greatest compassion is redemption, peace, Mashiach the Messianic era. So we are not just praying for, we are actually helping cause. Kol mevaser, mevaser v'omer. The voice of the herald should announce the imminent coming of redemption. That is the drama we act out on Hoshana Rabbah. And that's why even if we miss Shofar when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, and even if we miss Lulav and Esrog when Sukkos falls on Shabbos, but the chance to have an effect on God, the chance to help cause our redemption, that we cannot miss. And that is Hoshana Rabbah. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening. 
a great Shabbos, a meaningful and inspiring Hoshana Rabbah, and a Chag Sameach for the second part of Sukkos. And I look forward to seeing you all soon in person.